This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Kelly just got so distracted with all the great high-tech, low-tech gift options out there with our CNIB Smart Life friends that he disappeared. I don't know. I guess he's just tweaking that list of his, or my list, I should say, actually, because he's preparing a list to give to me so that I could get him the gifts. But in the meantime, we have other things we need to take care of on the show. Let's get to Know Your Rights with Danielle McLaughlin. Did you know that everyone has rights? No matter who we are, we all qualify. But what happens when freedoms collide? The answers are rarely simple, but always interesting. Join me, Danielle McLaughlin, to talk about civil liberties and human rights on Know Your Rights. Danielle, welcome back. Of course, it's our Monday edition of Know Your Rights. It's our weekly segment with you. And once in a while, we get to have uh, great guests on to get into some of these topics. We have today, Ramia, we're very fortunate that our special guest today is David Lepofsky. I'm sure he's well known to many of the people in our audience. David is a lawyer, a uh, professor of law, a well-known advocate for the rights of people living with disabilities. And David has spoken out on numbers of very important issues. But today, we're going to be talking about only two of these. Welcome to Kelly and Ramia, David. Well, great to be with you. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, First and probably most crucial at this moment is talking about the Ontarians with Disabilities Act. I understand from your recent AODA Alliance update that the Ford government has not made public the final report of the Rich Donovan fourth AODA independent review. What recommendations would you expect to find in this report? Well, we don't know because we haven't seen it. The whole idea of making it public is the advice, uh, just to take people back a step, the the Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act was passed in 2005 after a decade-long grassroots campaign by people with disabilities from across Ontario. I had the privilege of, of, of leading that campaign as a volunteer. It gave the government 20 years to lead Ontario to become fully accessible to all people with all kinds of disabilities. Well, you don't set a deadline like that without some checks and balances to make sure that doesn't fall off the radar. And one of the checks and balances was that every uh, four years, three or four years, the government had to appoint an independent person to review how we're doing, take our temperature. Are we on schedule? If not, what do we need to change? Three of those reviews had already reported in 2010, 2014, 2019, each with increasing uh, 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 alarm said uh, things have fallen off the radar where we need to revitalize the implementation of this act. There's a lot of public support for it, but the government isn't doing a good enough job. Well, yeah, I remember reading with great disappointment those reports thinking, OK, when is the government going to toe the line? Well, then what what happened was a fourth review was appointed by the current Ford government uh, to be conducted by a gentleman named Rich Donovan. He rendered an interim report last March 1st, and it made the the, the most strong, hard-hitting findings that we are well behind schedule, that the government doesn't have a plan of action, and that everybody is losing as a result. 
it was very hard hitting. So part two of his report, which the government received on January 6th, was to make recommendations on how to fix this. Now, the government has a statutory duty to lay that report before the legislature and make it public. The legislature has been sitting for weeks and the government has not made it public. It's keeping it secret, even though the act requires it to be made public. So we don't know the specifics of what he's going to recommend other than, excuse me, it's reasonable to project that one of these things he's going to say is, hey, government, you need a plan. You can't just yeah. stumble from one news release to the next, but you need a comprehensive plan of action on how you're going to lead this province to become accessible, something which prior independent reviews have recommended and my coalition has for years been begging for. Well, we still don't have one, and whatever plan Rich Donovan recommend, well, it's being kept secret, even though the legislation requires that it be made public. What can you do about that? I mean, other than make it make you know, like today, talking about it and making sure that the citizens know that they're owed something. Um, you know, can, can you go to court, for example, and 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 demand that this be released? Well, the problem with bringing a court proceeding, and I know this from past experience, is it probably won't get heard for months yes. till sometime well into next year. And maybe that would pressure the government to go and, uh, pardon me, make it public sooner. But in the meantime, the most effective strategy right now is to make it public. We're running a count on Twitter daily of how many days it's been since the government received this report and has protracted in keeping it secret. Yeah, it's well, I, I certainly have been been following the, the 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 count up, I guess it is rather than, than a count down. Um, you know, as we head towards 2025, you've said it's got to a point where right now, frankly, nothing is going on that is changing the circumstances for us, I think, meaning people with disabilities. Do you think that federal bill C-22, having received royal assent, will advance all of us towards that 2025 accessibility goal? Well, no. Uh, for one thing, the Canada Disability Benefit isn't main aimed at dealing with the issue of accessibility. It's aimed at alleviating poverty among working age people with disabilities. Though it's a sad story in and of itself because the federal government, when that bill was before parliament, uh, wanted it rushed through Parliament because it's so urgent to get this thing uh, paid uh, to pay this benefit paid to people with disabilities. Well, since they got it rushed through, uh, they uh, have failed to um, actually, um, as I recall, uh, proclaim it in force. It got royal assent, but that doesn't make it operational. That doesn't set the timelines that we won, fought very hard for, and won. Uh, they don't are don't take place until cabinet proclaims proclaims the law in force. Now the law says cabinet uh, can do it any time within the first year, and then after that it goes into force immediately. But uh, or after one year automatically. But why is the government failing to proclaim it in force now? Why the That's delay? A it's a really good question. Do you have any guesses on why they are sitting on it? Uh, well. No, they, they, I mean, I, guessing, speculating, um, uh, if they were ready to go, 
yeah. they would proclaim it in force. If they meant what they said a year ago before Parliament, that it's such an urgent matter, they would proclaim it in force. Um, if they wanted to be true to their commitments about the bill, they would proclaim it in force. And that has not yet been done. Well, and you have to understand, I... like, for example, we, we got some timelines in the bill uh, set, uh, not, not as strong as we'd like, but they aren't triggered until they don't start to run. The clock doesn't start to tick until the bill is proclaimed into force. We thought the bill should have been proclaimed into force immediately upon royal assent. Well, it would have made um, sense. But, and the other thing is, the government is taking months to conduct a con so what they refer to as a consultation on what the regulation shall include. Mm -hmm. And we were concerned that the uh, the details that they're now still figuring out should have as much as possible been in embedded in the bill, uh, in the law itself, so that they they were they were resolved and decided upon. And so that the cabinet of this government or the next government couldn't change them. The government didn't do that. Um, instead, they made big promises about an inclusive consultation. But like, how long does it take to consult to figure out how much money you need to pay to lift people with disabilities out of welfare? They they know what provincial social assistance benefits pay. They know uh, how much short of the poverty line that is. They know what the poverty line is. The government defined it itself in the yeah. uh, Poverty Reduction Act. So, like, we realize there's some uh, administrative things to put into place to so they can get an application process going. But um, th this shouldn't take this long. Think about how quickly the government turned around the uh, the CERB benefit during uh, the pandemic. Um, and yeah. look at how long this is taking. And this is taking so long, even if, though, it was the, the government has been committed to doing this for over three years. And throughout those three years, they claimed they were consulting, broadly consulting with the disability community. Like, how much more did they have to do? It's not really a difficult question to to ask somebody, what would your life be like if you weren't living in poverty? I mean, that's not a... They don't need to consult with people on the fact that people with disabilities uh, are too often living in poverty. They don't need to yeah. consult with people on how awful it is as a person with a disability to live in poverty. They already got that message. And if you look at the government's speeches yeah. a year ago in Parliament, they were already saying that they acknowledged that too many people with disabilities are living in poverty and that it's awful and that it needs to change. So like yeah. they don't need to hear from people about that. All they need to do is figure out what dollars they're going to pay, um, who's going to be eligible, and what's the application and appeal process is going to be. And uh, obviously, there's technical stuff that needs to be worked out, but that stuff they could have been working out for three years. Do you think that they're relying too heavily on regulation rather than what it what they've put into the legislation? Well, by virtue of the way the law was passed, the bill t tells you almost nothing about what people are entitled to, and therefore they have to define it all in the regulations. And they said that was intentional. The government said that that was intentional, um, yeah. and you know, throughout the the process before Parliament, the disability community was told every over and over to trust uh, the minister responsible, Carla Qualtro, to develop the regulations because she's a dedicated disability advocate. Now, she is a dedicated disability advocate, but we warned 
that there's no guarantee she's going to stay in that office. Well, what do you know? Four to six weeks yeah. after this bill passed, the prime minister shuffled her out of this portfolio. Yeah. Well, it 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 is frustrating and disappointing. And while we're speaking about frustrating, um, we're just going to have a couple of minutes left. But I would like to talk about uh, e-scooters. And I know that you have been speaking um, quite a bit about e-scooters uh, in Toronto specifically. And you have been you wrote recently to Mayor Olivia Chow about ensuring that they remain illegal. Has she answered you? Uh, no, we haven't heard back from her yet. Uh, uh, we wrote to all of city council. Um, mm -hmm. By the way, if I could just do a quick plug, if anybody listening to us wants to learn more about this, we uh, go to our website, which is aodaalliance.org. Anywhere in Canada you can, aodaalliance.org. And right on the homepage is a sign-up link. If you click there, stick in your email address, you'll get our updates and you'll, you'll know more about all of this. But on your question, electric scooters, those are the stand-up uh, kind of joyriding scooters for whipping around town at high speeds. They are what my late friend uh, John Ray used to call a silent menace. They're ridden upwards of, uh, upwards of 20 kilometers an hour or more by uninsured, unlicensed, untrained, uncontrolled joyriders who can whip around and have the time of their life and at least in Toronto and in several other cities, um, in clear defiance of the law, with impunity, yeah, well, with absolute well, that, impunity. That, that's what I wanted to ask you. I mean, I see that the, the city of Paris in France has recently made them illegal, um, and yet even there, they, they seem to proliferate. Um, it doesn't seem there's much enforcement. Why do you think that is? Um, uh, you'd have to ask law enforcement officials, you know, uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, they're a dangerous, uh, uh, they're dangerous because whipping at people silently, ridden on sidewalks, which are supposed to be safe for pedestrians, ridden in um, on park paths where pedestrians are trying to walk uh, with safety, they come at you out of nowhere. If you're blind, you can't know they're coming at you. If you don't have eyes in the back of your head, you don't know they're coming at you. And they're left lying on sidewalks so that they'll block people with uh, mobility disabilities. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. They're a blight on society. And normally in our society, if somebody's going to drive a mo operate a motor vehicle, they have to have a license. The vehicle has to be insured. The driver has to be insured. And the vehicle has to meet national safety standards. E-scooters have not got any of those bedrock safeguards required of them. And it's just, uh, it's a danger to the public and it's really wrong. And people are told, oh, but they're great for climate change. Well, when they spontaneously, the batteries spontaneously catch fire, which can happen. I heard that not about so e-bikes. I didn't, I didn't know that was true with the e-scooters as well. I have yeah, heard the, it's happening to the e-bikes. Yeah, that, no, it, it, uh, apparently from media reports it is. Uh, but also, there are lots of ways to prevent, to promote uh, the battle against climate change without having to make us sitting ducks on sidewalks and in public places to the silent menace of, uh, of e-scooters. So if, if you were to recommend a regime where they, these devices could be regulated and that in a way that would ensure the safety of people with disabilities and, and older people, 
other than making them just banning them outright, what would that look like? There is no regime for doing that. Every municipality that's tried that here and elsewhere around the world um, has failed. The only safe thing to do is to prohibit them. We did just fine without them before recent years when they started emerging. But right now, it's just um, complete lawlessness. Um, and uh, uh, and, and the, the solution is to ban them. If there was a way to regulate them, the e-scooter the e corporate lobbyists claim that they've got all this fancy technology to keep them off sidewalks. Um, it, it's smoke and mirrors. It's smoke and mirrors. Uh, and, and so our answer is um, it's been proven that no municipality has come up with a way to effectively regulate them, that there is not effective enforcement, and the best solution is to set up a zero tolerance, make them illegal in public places. And that, that would involve a certain amount uh, of enforcement. And as you've said, we haven't seen any enforcement to date. So, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, if we did that, would, would enforcement step up? We don't know the answer to that question, I guess, do well, we? Well, we need our political leaders responsible for our, our law enforcement services to actually do their jobs and get law enforcement to do their jobs. Fair enough. You know, we, we, we don't, we, in, in no other areas of the law would we ever say, oh my gosh, there's they're breaking enters, but you know what, we don't have effective enforcement, so let's just not try and leave yeah. people uh, exposed to break and enters. Uh, in their homes. No, we, we've got police. And while we wish there were more police, we at least have the law being enforced. We don't have an abject abdication of the of law enforcement. Well, thank you very much, David. Uh, you've, uh, as always, a very strong advocate for the rights of people with disabilities. And thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me on your program. Thank you. That Thanks. was... Thank you, Ramya. Yeah, that was fantastic conversation. I'm glad we got to both topics, Danielle. Appreciate um, you coordinating this for Know Your Rights, and we'll check back in with you next week. Absolutely. Danielle McLaughlin on Know Your Rights with today's guest, lawyer David Lepofsky, and uh, incredible conversation for you to listen back to on our podcast platform. I'm stepping away and coming back to wrap up the show with you. I don't think Kelly McDonald will be back, but I will be with the closing moment and a teaser of tomorrow morning's edition of Now with Dave Brown. Be right back. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. Hi, I'm Stephen Scott. Join me every day for Double Tap. It's a show where we occasionally talk about technology for blind and partially sighted people. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts.